0: Baptist broadcast thank you for tuning in through spotify itunes podcast addict anchor.fm if you're watching on youtube please do not forget to click that subscribe button before we even get started with this video click it click it if you haven't already and the bell for continued notifications gnosticism what is gnosticism and that's really the the subject I, i can't believe i haven't done a video on this yet this is a very important topic Um, And and part of the reason it's it's so important is because, well, there's a couple of reasons. Gnosticism, which we'll get into what that is here in a moment, but Gnosticism has not left our culture. It's not left even uh, uh, Christian theology in some sectors of it. Um, it, It's one of those, Gnosticism is one of those... um, Broad terms that applies to many different instantiations throughout history. It's kind of like um, Arianism or Sabellianism. You know, they 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 had an initial uh, kind of appearance, but then from that point onward, uh, that same error or heresy would show up, but from a different angle or uh, having to do with a maybe even a different doctrine. Um, liberalism is like this when we talk about theological liberalism. We're, uh, we're not only usually we think of, uh, of the doctrine of inerrancy coming under fire, but, uh, when you think of theological liberalism, you could also think of, um, a, a dismissal of metaphysics in the project of theology. Uh, you can think of a, uh, you know, in favor of, of, of just a, a pure textual or literary science. You can think of, uh, Um, uh, anthropology being attacked, um, uh, doctrine of God, and so on. And so liberalism is kind of one of those broad words that we can apply to a lot of things. Gnosticism is like that as well. So it's important to understand what Gnosticism is so that we can hopefully discern it when we find it, because it's not just in Christianity, it's in other religions, world religions, it's in uh, it's in, uh, it's found in spiritualist movements, various spiritualist movements. It's found in, um, uh, some of the things that politicians say and, and things that happen on the news. So it's, it's a very relevant subject. So it's important for that reason. The other reason it's important is because it's one of the, uh, favored accusations. Uh, you know, everything you, you've, you may, may have seen people say this, uh, kind of making fun of how often Gnosticism is, is is used as an accusation against some perceived error. Uh, You know, people will say, making fun of that uh, trend, everything I don't like is Gnostic, right? Or everything I don't like is Gnosticism. And there's an element of truth to that. I think people accuse things of being Gnostic that aren't necessarily Gnostic, or people don't accuse something of Gnosticism when it in fact is Gnostic. So, uh, very very important question: What is Gnosticism? And that's what we're going to deal with in this video today. So I guess I could just begin by asking the question: What <clears throat> what is the core principle assumption of Gnosticism? And before I get into answering that, I would just say that Gnosticism is one of those heresies, principal heresies that have been with uh, the church for since its beginning. And, um, and so this is something that uh, really the core principle here that we're going to mention that is foundational to Gnosticism is something really that's been plaguing Orthodox theologians since the time of the apostles. Um, now, the actual term Gnosticism as it came to be associated with a variety of movements throughout church history really wasn't employed until maybe the second or third centuries, uh, but there is an error that there are things errors that precede it that help us to understand how Gnosticism even came to be a thing in the first place, all of which share the core principle that we're going to mention here. So what is that what is that core principle that that core assumption, that foundational assumption of Gnosticism and and I would say that it that it is this. it's a it's a kind of dualism. Now uh, dualism is another word. It's kind of like Gnosticism. It's used as as a, uh, uh, as a taboo term. Um, nobody's supposed to be dualist. If you're a dualist, you're a heretic or you're in error. Uh, but I would just say that dualism in some form is inescapable. Uh, when we talk about the creator-creature distinction, that's a kind of a dualism. All right, so dualism is not a bad word. Uh, there are certain kinds of dualisms that are bad, and this is this is one of them. So, I would say that the core assumption of dualism, or the core assumption of Gnosticism rather, is that it's a, it's a dualism of opposition between matter and form or more colloquially and more popularly we might be able to say that it's a it's an op- it's a dualism of opposition between material existence on the one hand and spiritual or ethereal existence on the other and the and the idea here is that the material existence is is in some way uh, not preferable as compared to the spiritual or ethereal existence in other words there's something wrong with material existence in principle like it's just not desirable that we should subsist as material beings whatsoever and we should favor instead a spiritual or an ethereal um, non-material existence so there's an opposition between those two things it's it's as if we if we were Gnostics we would say well the way I am right now is really not the way I want to I want to be because it's not ideal there's something not desirable uh, on a more extreme end we would say that what I'm made out of is evil and because of that i I, I much prefer a spiritual non-material ethereal existence all right so that's that's kind of the core it, it, gnosticism comes in many different flavors but it, it's going to have something like that in common no matter how it shows up throughout history now, like I mentioned earlier, there's, there's some precursors to this. right? There are, there are movements that build up to Gnosticism and kind of explain how Gnosticism came to be in the first place. Gnosticism, as we, we've just defined it and as we know it now, didn't just pop into existence in the second century. There were movements that preceded it and really acted as foundational historical building blocks for it. And one of the first personalities and philosophies that I would point to as a, a kind of pavestone toward Gnosticism would be Plato and uh, Plato's <clears throat> extreme realism. So if you've ever read Plato or any secondary source material that accru- accurately describes Plato, you would know that for Plato, he grounds reality in the world of the forms, right? In other words, he grounds sensible the sensible world in the world of the forms. The world of the forms is this kind of... Uh, heightened existence that's altogether preferable over the world in which we currently experience. And and in fact, the world in which we currently experience is not the realest of the real. It, it bears some likeness to the real, but the real is in the world of the forms to which we ha- have not yet risen. And so um, our bodies, everything that we experience in this world of, of phenomena is 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 not preferable. This is not the the ideal situation. The ideal situation is that we would break free of our circumstance at current and end up in the world of the forms which is the realist of the real. And so the idea here is that uh, you know the body is is a prison the material body is a prison and one day we will we will break free from our current limitations uh, and and for Plato, of course, this is this is seen in in an intellectual context. There are very few men who can do it, but there are some who can do it, who can break free of these current circumstances and end up in the world of the forms, leaving behind this kind of phenomenological existence for uh, a, a more uh, numinal, heightened, glorious existence in the world of the forms. So this world is not preferable. There's there's uh, there's something negative about being here, and it's really the nature of this current existence itself. It's not sin or anything like that. It's just the way this world is, uh, as as this realm or as this world of sense experience is is not preferable as compared to the world of the forms. So that's a that's a precursor. There's a there's some Platonism that that uh, is applied in later variations of. Of Gnosticism, another possible precursor would be the Jewish sect of the Sadducees. Um, we know from Scripture that the Sadducees denied a bodily resurrection; they thought it was. Uh, and and this is really, um, I, I think it's. I think this is Sadduceical thought was influenced by by Grecian and, and Roman philosophical thought. And the idea is that it is impossible for the body to rise again. This is why the Romans. Uh, uh, uh would uh, cr- would um, cremate their dead they'd burn their dead on pallets of wood and the reason was well there is no this existence, this material existence is altogether impreferable compared to uh compared to the next life and and so we're going to send them on in this ceremony where wherein the body is is cremated it is burned and, and scorched and and but they are going to to live on as a spiritual being freed from, as it were, the prison of, of this body. And so uh, one of the ways in which that manifests is a denial in the bo- of the bodily resurrection. There There is no bodily resurrection. Um, the Pharisees confessed a bodily resurrection following more on the coattails of Old Testament orthodoxy. The Sadducees departed from that orthodoxy, um, I think influenced more by uh, Platonic thought, and denied a bodily resurrection. So in Matthew 22, 23, we see descriptions of the Sadducees, you know, that they, that they denied uh, a bodily resurrection. So that's a possible precursor as well. There's some Sadduceical thought perhaps in the, in the later Christian uh, aberrations that involved uh, Gnosticism. Another precursor, uh, which is probably more along the lines of the father of Gnosticism, it would be ancient Docetism and, and how Docetism shows up in Christian theology uh, or as an aberration of Christian theology, is with regard to Christology or the doctrine of Christ. And the Docetist denied that our Lord had a material body. In other words, he had not taken on a flesh like our flesh. To do so would have been taboo. It would have been counterintuitive to the nature of God. And so uh, instead, he took on what, what they say to be a, a celestial body, that it was not a physical body like ours. It was not a, a, a human nature entailing a human flesh and so on. This was a celestial body that he assumed, um, and and all of the and 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 by the way, this body is incapable of any of any. It's not just incapable of sin. It's incapable of of any imperfection, including natural imperfections. Uh, cuts bruises sufferings and so what they would go on to say is that all of Christ's sufferings were illusory they were all just apparent uh, instances of suffering he really wasn't suffering uh, and so uh, and again the assumption here is 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 coming from that core principle we've already we've already covered that there's this this dualism of opposition between matter and, uh, uh, or material existence and spiritual or ethereal existence. And the thought for the docetists was, well, the, the, the Son of God could by no means take on a material existence. Uh, that would be taboo. That'd be wrong. That'd be sinful. Um, so he, he would have had to take on some kind of other mode of existence that would accept him from such a mean or, or material existence. And um, so they, they're assuming that dualism of opposition. That dualism of opposition, by the way, is a very important qualification with regard to Gnosticism. If you are detecting a dualism in a person that you're conversing with, but it's not a dualism of opposition, it's not Gnosticism. All right. So I think I think that's very uh, that's very important. What kind of dualism are you dealing with? What kind of dualism? Um, uh, are are we talking about? Is it uh, a dualism of opposition or is it some other kind of dualism? And I would say that a dualism of opposition is what we're looking for in Gnosticism, where there are two uh, competing substances, two substances that are fundamentally opposed to one another, a spiritual su- substance and a, and a material substance. So uh, obviously we have all of these ideas floating around from at least Plato onward. We have Plato... Uh, we have the Jewish sect of the Sadducees, we have ancient docetism, and and all of these are floating around in the first century when the New Testament canon is is coming together under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And so there are ways in which the New Testament, albeit they're not using these, these technical terms to refer to these different mindsets, and they're certainly not using the word docetism, um, but But we have good reason to believe that the New Testament authors, at least some of them, are responding to a prevailing opinion of the day that uh, that matter is evil, uh, that Jesus could not have had a material body, and therefore he must have been a a spiritual, ethereal, or illusory existence in in terms of our experience of him. And... um, and that sect was probably the Docetists, what what we now call the Docetists or ancient Docetism, and uh, you get texts like in First John one one, where John is is I think polemically, obliquely, but still polemically addressing this error, where he says in First John one one, you know we've heard, we have seen with our eyes, we have looked upon, our hands have handled or have touched concerning the word of life, that is concerning the incarnate Logos, the Son of God. And so what he's doing there is he's emphasizing the point that, no, this was a real incarnation. This was a real human nature. He was just like us in every way, yet accepting sin. And we read words to that same effect in Hebrews. Um, in John 1, 1, 14, uh, we read, uh, John, again, this is the Apostle John, and he says, The word, the Logos, who is who is one and the same with the Father uh, in in essence, became flesh. All right, you can't use a more uh, carnal term, if you will. This is uh, this is a a a word signifying that our Lord has indeed um, stooped to our level in assuming a human nature to Himself, including a fleshly existence. All right, so the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld, saw, enjoyed his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. We read words to similar effect in Colossians 2.9 from the Apostle Paul, for in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead, and get this, bodily. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead, Bodily. We have uh, teachings from the early church that uh, respond to Docetism and Gnosticism. Uh, Irenaeus writes in Against Heresies He says, He does not prohibit them from living their lives in the flesh, for he was himself in the flesh when he wrote to them, but he cuts away the lusts of the flesh, those which bring death upon a man. And so, you can see uh, the context of this, by the way. If you want, I, we can't read the whole passage, but it's book one of of against heresies. If you'd like to go read it, but the important thing here is is how Irenaeus is making distinctions. He's saying, uh, well, uh, when there is language in Scripture that uh, that seems to um, uh, negatively assess the word flesh, uh, like if we're walking in our flesh, it's assumed that we're sinning. It's not. It's not assigning uh, a negative connotation to material existence. What it's doing is it's cutting away the lust of the flesh, right? And so the lust of the flesh are there uh, are, are colloquially referred to as as just the flesh. They're generalized in that manner. In that manner, the flesh itself, as a material substance or a material being, is not uh, is not altogether evil. Um rather, it's the lust of the flesh that that corrupt, the lust of the flesh that are evil. Um, Athanasius writes on the Incarnation uh, very early on, page one. He has not our Lord. He has not assumed a body as proper to his own. He's talking about our Lord Jesus Christ. He has not assumed a body as proper to his own divine nature, far from it. For as the word, he is without body. In other words, according to his divine nature, he is without body. Uh, God is not a body; he is spirit. He's without body parts and passions. And so Athanasius understands and observes this. And so he's he's saying here that it's not as if God transformed himself into a human being. It's not as if it's not as if um, the nature that he assumed was uh, was divine. No, the nature he assumed was was our nature. And so he goes on and he says, He has been manifested in a human body for this reason only, out of the love and goodness of his father for the salvation of us men. And and right there it's not a direct address of docetism, but right there it's it's an opposing opinion to docetism and it's 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 something wholly contrary to what the Docetists and the the later Gnostics taught. Um in a lot of conversations that involve Turning now from the definition of Gnosticism, examples of Gnosticism, precursors of Gnosticism, Christian response to Gnosticism, let's move to our contemporary situation where in our contemporary situation, as I mentioned at the beginning of this video, the charge of Gnosticism is, it seems to always be crouching at the door. The charge of Gnosticism is a very popular one to make and it seems like that charge, uh, rises from time to time in conversation when conversations seem to entail some kind of a dualism. And this happens a lot in eschatology. When we talk about eschatology, we talk about uh, the beatific vision or man's glory, the significance of this present order in relation to the order to come. It seems like Gnosticism becomes a subject of the conversation quite quickly because either either you have someone who who misappropriates our eschatology and says and seems to seems to talk about this present world as if it's something that's evil again the material world of our current experience is evil that's very docetist It's very gnostic um, but sometimes you have Christians talk like that right like this present world doesn't matter it's it's, it's undesirable. I don't want to be here. I want to be there. And there is this more spiritual, ethereal existence. It's to the point where cultural Christians, many times, they don't mind anything like cremation or anything like that. You'll hear people say, well, uh, well, that person's not there anymore anyway in, in their body. So it doesn't matter, right? Their body doesn't matter. And that's, that's kind of a that's a Gnostic tendency. That's cultural Gnosticism. And a person might not be a Gnostic in the sense of them being a, a straight, knowledgeable heretic arguing for Gnosticism, but it's a way in which the culture has the, the the cultural Gnosticism has encroached upon the church. So you hear people say, "Well, the body doesn't matter anyway." they're not there anymore, they're in, a, they're in a better situation, they've gone to be with the Lord or whatever, so that doesn't matter. So that's an example of how Gnosticism has, has affected our thought process. But in response to that, it seems like any affirmation of a better situation in the future, um, understanding that this world is currently uh, uh, tainted by sin and so on, it's also Gnostic. It's also turned to be Gnostic. So in other words, the Christian notion of, of glory, where we would say that 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 yes, we 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 enjoy our, our current lives and we steward our current lives, but there's a a better trajectory here. There's a there's a better end, that's also called Gnosticism, right? and, and it's and it's and it's hastily termed Gnosticism as if to say that there is something other and greater than what we currently experience is a Gnostic sentiment. And and that's just not true. So what we wanna ask now is, I've got these dry lips and now I'm, now I'm bleeding. What we wanna ask now is, is man's glory, uh, is man's glory and is man's beatitude fundamentally Gnostic? Um, and the answer, of course, I would say no. Um, When we say, and I think in accord with Christian eschatology, uh, which has been revealed to us in scripture, we have to say that man's end is better than man's present, uh, present experience. All right, we have to say that man's end is better than man's present. Paul has all this language of, you know, he desires to be with the Lord and understands that it's important for him to stay here because of the edification of the saints, yet he really desires to be with God in glory and so on. So man's end is better than man's present. It's not necessary. Now, you could say that in a Gnostic way. You could mean something Gnostic by saying that. In other words, you could mean that that the present world, cosmos, is altogether undesirable and I, de- and I desire something altogether different and greater. I want to escape this and go for that. All right. So there's a there's a sense in which you could say man's end is better than man's present intending something Gnostic there. But to say man's end is better than man's present is not necessarily Gnostic. Now, when we say man's end is better than man's present, we mean to say that man's goal or his telos, his teleology or his end is better than man's present, um, there are two ways, right? Two ways, I think, that we could say man's end uh, is better than man's present. We could say it by way of opposition, in which case we have this, this dualism, um, you know, this dualism of opposition, or we could say man's end is better than man's present by way of punctuation. All right, let me explain what that means. To say man's end is greater than his present by way of opposing the end to the present absolutely and without qualification would be Gnostic. This world is wholly undesirable. We look to shed this world in order to inherit the next. That would be Gnostic. Christianity believes that what we have now is desirable, but we desire to be further clothed with glory, in other words. So we would say that man's end is greater than man's present by way of punctuation. We say man's end is greater than man's present by way of punctuation. That's not Gnostic. Um, This same world is not altogether or absolutely undesirable. This same world will be glorified because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God, Romans 8, 21. And so there's this sense in which the same world, in an unfathomable way, will be glorified. And so it's not as if we want to shed this altogether and go for something different. That would be a dualism of opposition, a manifestation of Gnosticism or Docetism. Rather, what we'd want to say is that the same world, though it be fallen in sin, will be punctuated through glorification. And the same is true about our resurrection, right? Our resurrection, when we think about the bodily resurrection, we think about our present bodies, the self-same bodies, the confession says, will be raised to glory in the resurrection. So hopefully this was helpful. Um, question, what is Gnosticism? It's a very important question. Um, it's a dualism of opposition. Just remember that. It's a dualism of opposition, not a dualism of, of punctuation. So God bless you guys. Again, if you haven't subscribed to the channel, please do. Hopefully this was helpful.